1: So any man who has ever or who does ever view a woman as a lesser being or abuses or victimizes in any way has distorted not only God's design, you have violated His commands. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect I wonder how many times in our life things are very good, but sin creeps in and destroys God's design. And so we move from that first aspect of the grand narrative of creation into the fall. And as a result of the fall, sin creates problems that both men and women endure. So I'm not asking you to always have a scapegoat. But every time you face something that's not right in this world, I really do want you to understand, it is a result of the reality of sin. As a result of the fall, sin creates problems. Both men and women have to endure. Look in Genesis 3 and verse 8 as this is described. And they heard, now who is they? Who's around in Genesis 3? Adam and Eve. They heard... Hey, part of our creation in the image of God is the ability to hear his voice. Isn't that cool? So from the beginning, all this religion and ritual was created. But from the beginning, God created us in a way that we could walk with him and talk with him like that old song in the garden. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. So they heard The sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. So this is new. They hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord, God, called to the man and said to him, where are you? And we're just flying through this. I, I love this passage. Because God's not asking Adam where are you because God's confused about his whereabouts. He's asking him, where are you? Because the first step of dealing with our sinfulness is acknowledging it. And so the truth is, though, I'm trying to systematically walk you through an understanding of a topic today. Some of you, God has brought you to this place so that you might come face to face with the presence of a holy God and have a new awareness of your sinfulness, of your need to be made right. So God said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? In other words, this is not a new thing. What happened? Have you eaten of the tree? I I commanded you not to eat. And the man said, (laughs) and again, a whole nother message here. You know what he said. That woman... You gave me to be with. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And then the woman continues to pass the blame. That serpent deceived me and I ate. Now I want you to notice this because this is very important. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed, Are you above all the livestock and above the beasts of the field? On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, if it stopped right there, we would think, man, he's just, he's just punishing the snake because that's what snakes do. But he doesn't stop there. And it tells us something. In verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He'll crush you. What is that pointing to? Right here in the fall, we already have God pointing to redemption. He's pointing to the cross, the gospel. Because on the cross, Jesus would take on the sin of the world. Once and for all, he would reverse the curse as we're going to see in just a moment. And he would crush the enemy, Satan. But then notice what it says. To you, the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. And he shall rule over you. Hey, I want you to understand something that's always true. Say always. This is always true. Sin creates confusion. And you see it from the moment of the fall. I mean, they're running around hiding. I mean, what? Covering up. I mean, they don't know what to do. They hear God and like they think they can hide from the one who created and and made them who they are. They're confused. And sin does that. Sin creates chaos. And this order that God made in this world all of a sudden doesn't begin to make sense. And we question those things that God may have made clear. And it magnifies our differences. I showed you a picture a a little earlier. Our tech team is so good. I I, I don't even know if you can do this, but see if you can find that picture of me in, in front of the church uh, last week in in Nigeria, and uh, in that picture, there oh, here we are. Um, can y'all see me i I know we all blend together, but can y'all see me? Hey, I just want to tell you something that's one of the coolest experiences of my life because for the second time, I, I was in a city of about a million people, and for three days I didn't see another white face. I just didn't. And sin, when we have this kind of difference, sin wants to make us magnify the difference. That's not God's design. God's design in in the creation of man and woman was completeness, it was wholeness, it was that he would take what was opposite and make it beautiful because two became one. But sin always confuses us. And so when you think about race, you really do have to understand, it it sounds simple, but it's true. The issue of racism is not a skin problem, it is a sin problem. Because it's sin that creates this confusion and magnifies difference. And so what did they do? They tried to cover up their differences. Oh, this is, this is so good. So when sin confuses today in the area of sexuality, what do we try to do? Oh, we're not different. We're all the same. We are different because sin also causes conflict. Has anybody ever experienced that? Let me see your hand. Sin causes conflict. Why does it cause conflict? Because it complicates things. So, So all of a sudden you have, for example, something that was supposed to be something of great joy and apparently was not supposed to be painful. Childbirth, God's plan, procreation. All of a sudden that is conflicted and it becomes painful. For the man, we didn't read this, but God created work. Adam had been working. You understand that, right? He named all the animals. He was, he was the first king of the jungle. But because of the complication and the conflict created by sin, work became something that the Bible says you would sweat over. And it would become toil, hard labor. So listen to this. Sin brought pain and distortion to God's grand design. Now how many pages are we into the Bible? About three pages. You've got a lot of scripture that then tells us a story of how sin has distorted God's design. I want to remind you, in Genesis chapter 1, there was equal rule and dominion. Remember when I pointed that out? He said to them, you shall rule over the earth. But sin distorted God's design. So in Genesis chapter 3, he said to Eve, hey, you're going to desire to control your husband, but your husband's going to have a level of rule over you. Sin always distorts God's design, whatever sin that is in your life. But understand this, sin and that distortion is never an excuse for doing things that are out of God's will. So any man throughout history who has ever or who does ever view a woman as a lesser being or abuses or victimizes in any way in or out of marriage has distorted not only God's design, you have violated his commands And it's never okay. But that's what we begin to see.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
1: Remember what this is this is God's story. So, the hero of this book is who? Who's the hero? It's God. Jesus is the hero. But, but what we tend to think, we're human, so what we tend to think is we look at this and we see somebody like David, or we see a great leader like Moses or Joshua, or, or even wonderful ladies like Esther that we just spend time talking about, or Mary, the church has done that throughout history, we turn to Mary, and we make them the heroes. No, the hero of this story is God. It's God's story. It's His story. And so when we see mankind from this moment on throughout Scripture, mankind is distorted. They're not living up to God's design. So guess what happens? All throughout the history of Israel, we see women treated poorly. And we see it going down, down, down to a point to when Jesus arrives on the the scene, women are treated as little more than property, even in religious circles. There was a prayer that Jewish men would pray that went like this. Blessed are you, O God, king of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Women were considered so much less than men that men would pray and thank God they weren't women. And in Jesus' day, a man could divorce his wife for any reason. There was a rabbi named Eliezer who said that the Torah, the Old Testament scripture, was better off burned than entrusted to a woman. And that's the culture into which Jesus was born. So be be careful when you look at this Old Testament passage about ascribing treatment of women to the holiness of God. Understand that in that grand narrative, the fall has impacted mankind in a mighty way, which brings me to the third point. The redeeming work of Jesus conquers sin and offers God's provision for all the problems that sin creates. Listen to that. The redeeming work of Jesus conquers sin and offers God's provision for all of the problem that sin Creates What was the purpose of Jesus coming? It was redemption. It was to pay for our sin. Sin, that nature that we're born with, creates this barrier between us and God. It creates confusion and conflicts in this world. And Jesus came to straighten that out. The only way it could be straightened out was by the punishment of death. And so rather than all of us being condemned to death, Jesus died once and for all. That's the gospel. If you've just walked in the church or you've just kind of begun to listen to these things, when we say the gospel, the good news, that's what we're talking about. Christ died for our sins, just like the scripture said was needed. He was buried, and on the third day he rose, just as the scripture said was needed. And in doing so, he defeated sin and he redeemed mankind. All, say all. All. All of life's brokenness is redeemed and made whole by the power of the gospel. The gospel is not simply your fire insurance. It's not simply your forever reservation in heaven. It is that, but it's more than that. The gospel is what gives you the ability to navigate the distinct differences that separates you from every other person on the planet. Each of whom is also in the fingerprints of God. So Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to stir things up. And he views women differently. He's supported by women. He brings them in close. He adds value to them. Like the woman at the well, he encourages them. Like the lady caught in adultery, he forgives them. Like the prostitute who covered his hair and his his feet with expensive perfume, he says there's great value in them. Like his friend Mary and Martha, he commissions them to serve. And in his first group of followers, he acknowledges their value. And so it's no surprise that the early church, when describing what Jesus has done, says this in Galatians 3 and verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse. He redeemed us from the curse. Where did we hear about a curse? Remember there are three things, there are four things: the creation, the fall, the redemption and the restoration. Where did we hear about the curse? In the fall. So in Genesis chapter three, basically the third page of the Bible. and then in Jesus, we have the redemption of the curse. He reverses the curse. Jesus bears your curse. I want you to do something. Just take a deep breath. Now say this. Say, Jesus bears my curse. I don't know what your struggles are, but you're a sinner just like your pastor. And there are things that are challenges and battles, perhaps temptations and sin struggles in your life. But if you have submitted the control of your life to Jesus the Christ. He took on your curse. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, There is therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Notice what it goes on to say in verse 26 of Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no... You see that? There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Not only did Jesus bear our curse, Jesus breaks down barriers. So Jesus makes it very clear, that old preacher saying, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So now if there was any confusion throughout history, it's like it's cleared up once and for all. When I stand before God, I'm on equal footing, regardless of my race, regardless of what I've experienced in life, Regardless of my sex, I'm on equal footing before God because God, God breaks down the barriers in our life. Aren't you thankful for that? Would you just praise God for breaking down barriers? But I want you to understand something. Being in Christ does not demolish the things that differentiate us, but instead declares we're not defined by our difference. So when Jesus makes us one with him in Christ, it doesn't mean that there is no such thing as a man or a woman. That there is no such thing as a different race. That there is no such thing as those who go through difficult circumstances in life like slave or free. But what it means is that in Christ, we are defined by that identity, not by anything else and that's significant because we've learned over the last several weeks that what I am what I'm defined by determines how I see things and how I see things determines what I feel and how I feel is going to determine what I do So if I don't understand that my identity and your identity is in Christ, then guess what? I'm going to see you differently. I'm going to feel differently about you. And probably my actions towards you are not going to be godly. They're not going to be Christ-like and kind. But if I understand that, it changes everything. So why isn't everything just peachy king and we all hold hands and sing kumbaya all the time? the effects of sin still exist in our world. We see the pain that sin creates. And so God's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order and he's given us some things, even in the family, that order and guide us through life. But there are opportunities just to draw closer to God, not opportunities to discriminate or abuse or objectify anyone else. The reality is, on this side of eternity, the effects of sin will still be experienced. But there's coming a day in which God will restore all things into His created order. We talked about that a moment ago, but that's the fourth thing. Remember? Creation. Say creation. Fall. What's next? Redemption. And then restoration. I wish on this side of heaven, everything could be restored. But the story's not over. But because the story's not over, God's given us a glimpse into the future. And we find that in Revelation 22. Look at verses 1 through 3. Some of your Bibles even say this is Eden restored. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, there it is again, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer, listen, no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. Hey, until Christ returns, we still live in a broken world. And I learned a long time ago, in a broken world, broken people break things. So one of the things, if we're going to have a foundational understanding that's based on Scripture, is we recognize things won't always be the way we wish they were on this side of heaven. But we have the hope of heaven. And so our responsibility is very, very clear. In light of Scripture's grand narrative, the best thing I can do is learn to live on this day in preparation for that day. I want to live my life aware of the creation, the fall, the redemption, and the future restoration that God promises. And I want to make sure that how I see people, how I feel about people, how I treat other people is reflective of God's plan for all of time. Now, I won't be able to do that if I've not personally experienced the redemption that Jesus made available. You've been listening
0: to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home... You're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves thank you for giving at MissionHillChurch.com. And join us next Sunday at noon for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.